Hello and welcome back to the Lack of Depth Football Podcast. My name is Kyle Began and this is my tactical breakdown or analysis or I'm not even sure how tactical it's going to be. Uh, it is my thoughts on uh, West Ham versus Chelsea, which was a very entertaining game at points and a very boring game at others. Perhaps, and this is a terrible sign, perhaps the most interesting uh, part of the match was... Uh, the two teams' trajectories coming into it, uh, Chelsea hadn't conceded in three games, but they'd only won one of their last five. But that kind of defensive solidity that they were growing into was definitely trying to get, was definitely bringing about a, an air of security or um, at least continuity between lineups and uh, tactics in possession and out of possession that Graham Potter hadn't really had since he started at the club. And in terms of how West Ham were feeling heading into this game, they've won three in their last five. Uh, they just drew with Newcastle, which will be a huge boost to a team that's been knocking around the bottom of the table, considering the run that Newcastle were on before that game. They wouldn't have went into this expecting a perfect performance, but they would have thought with it being a derby match, and with Chelsea not looking bulletproof at the moment, it'd be a great chance to kind of land a glove on them, show what they're about, and use this match as a platform to build on. Whether or not they've done that, uh, it's hard to say, but reflecting on the issues that they had before this game and the issues that they had all season, which I'm about to, um, there is an argument that they're kind of in the same place for a few reasons in their control and a few reasons out of control as well. So just before I go into the start of the game and how things kicked off, can just for a bit of context in terms of what West Ham's issues have been this season, they've looked chaotically flat in possession. And that has come from a double pivot of Suchek and Rice struggling in a team that is attempting to assert themselves as a better team in the Premier League. And what that comes with is... Normally, the opportunity to have more of the ball. But what has actually happened has is for a number of downsides, they've struggled to keep hold of the ball and they've struggled to pro progress the ball massively. And that meant that huge signings, kind of landmark signings for the club like Paqueta, that are f further up the pitch, have struggled to get involved at all. And so although... West Ham are the fifth best team in terms of not conceding goals in the league going into this match. They are actually the fifth worst in terms of scoring goals at the other end. And that's because they're actually breaking down as they come into possession in deeper areas and not getting it to the attacking players in good positions. So to remedy the issues that they've been having in their 4-2-3-1 formation, they've adapted to a five-back and dropped Thomas Suchek. Now, a lot of us last season were singing Thomas Suchek's praises, particularly the season before as well, but that was a different type of team. And he has a ability that he's got a verticality and a directness to his individual play and movement that can be really helpful, especially helpful from set pieces. But though those are kind of less ball dominant team attributes and it doesn't necessarily help you play through the lines. And by dropping him and moving Paqueta into, into his position, they were able to see a level of control in the last few games and a level of progression that I don't think Thomas Suchek is necessarily um, capable of. The one stat that I did want to highlight, of course, I've got team stats and stuff as, as anyone does, but 
Um, the ones that I did want to highlight between Paqueta and Suchek is that Paqueta, although he normally plays as a 10, compared to other 10s, he was in the 93rd percentile for progressive passes. And so he can pick up the ball in areas and progress that um, among the top 7 or 8% of, of, of players in the game. And that's a difficult position to be able to do that in. He's also in the 74th percentile among 10s and winners for pass completion percentage. And although 74% is not nowhere near as striking in, as 93rd percent, if you compare Thomas Suchek to other midfielders, he's in the 10th percentile for progressive passes. It's not part of his game. It's not something he's good at. And he's in the 7th percentile for pass completion. And so if you look at this as a team that's struggling to keep the ball and struggling to get it to their talented advanced players like Bowen, Antonio, Saeed Benrama has amazing moments for the club. I don't want to say it's all down to one person because it's definitely not, but it looks like Thomas Suchek is kind of the reason for at least some of that difficulty or at least that area where they're struggling in. If you consider then that the fact that they've been struggling to keep the ball, control the ball in their half, progress it, win games, uh, put on point, put on points, put up points. If you consider all the things that they've been struggling with and the fact that they've responded to that by going to a five back in a two-man midfield, uh, you then have one less midfielder to cover for Suchek's deficiencies. And so going into this game, I was hoping for a encouraging Paqueta performance. I was hoping for him to get in the ball and do some good things, uh, progressive carries, progressive passes, show a measure of control that uh, West Ham were really looking to have this season that they haven't so far. So with him getting injured so early on... <laughs> With them getting injured so early on, though that was one of the key things I talked about that I was referencing when I said that it might not have been within David Moyes' control that they might not that they wouldn't have have actioned their best plan of action. Heading into this game, I don't know how Chelsea fans would have felt because obviously it's been an up and down couple of weeks, but I, I felt there was a general sense of positivity. Uh, especially when you saw the lineups and you saw that Mount hadn't Mount wasn't starting, which I think if you view that alongside uh, the trajectory and growth of a player like Aaron Wan-Bissaka at Manchester United, who's been able to who's been able to drop out of the spotlight and come back as his best self, just because the spotlight isn't on him quite so much. And if you consider that alongside a player like Marcus Rashford who went through his whole down period, again, similar age to Mason Mount, who went through his whole down period as the public eye, in the public eye, and it was definitely a confidence thing and definitely a, a mental thing. I, I feel that, that 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 staying and playing all the time only exacerbated the issues that he was having on the pitch. And so dropping Mount, I felt, was the right decision. I also felt when Mount came on, he didn't really offer anything. That may in part be to... That may in part be because Jao Felix is now playing what is Mount's um favoured position. Uh, the other thing that I was that I think Chelsea were expecting for the game was a level of defensive solidity that maybe wasn't exactly there. Uh, the only goal that they conceded um was well, they obviously conceded others from offsides and flicks and stuff that never ended up counting. Shout out to Suchek's uh, handball in his half. They'll be livid about that on Twitter. I haven't checked it yet. But um, I, I do think that was a handball, by the way. But um, yeah, Chelsea going into it, uh, 
it wasn't that solid. Reese James was just massively out of position. And outside of that chance, uh, West Ham struggled to create anything at all, really, that wasn't from a set, a set play or scored from being offside. And so I do think that you can take some building blocks from that. Again, it's frustrating that your kind of star boy comes back and is the cause of the issue. But these are the kind of things you expect when someone's been out for that long, especially back to back. He was only back for something like two games and then off for over a month again. The one thing that I was excited for going into it is that I thought Jao Felix and Mudrik would couple perfectly. Jao Felix can slip into half spaces like nobody's business. And the three of them actually form a, a kind of, I don't want to say a kind of world class. I was just going to say that probably one of the best trios around a half space that are, that are in the a Premier League at the moment, when you consider Enzo Fernandez pushing up into that area as well. That's an extremely threatening area for a team like Arsenal, who currently sit top of the Premier League. And so if they consistently are able to manipulate that with the quality that they have in Mudrik, Enzo Fernandez, and um, Felix, that's going to be a problem. Come, I guess that's that's the end of our um, what what I was expecting going into it section. Heading into the game, I expected West Ham to drop a lot deeper than they did initially. I also expected them to play kind of better and and cope with. At Chelsea and in wide areas particularly slightly better. At the start of the game, uh it was unclear how often uh West Ham were gonna do that high press. And because of Declan Rice's positioning on the first two times that they on the first few times that they tried to do it, they were getting played through quite easily because Declan Rice was just a little bit too far off. Enzo Fernandez dropping back to pick up the ball from Cucurella when Kufal was pushing him. And Kufal was just a little, probably one or two yards off of Cucurella when the ball fell to him in that corner where they're trying to corner him, force him to go long, force him into a mistake or a turnover, as they'd call it in basketball. Um, they were just, each of them were just one or two strides off. And so it looked like it made the press look sloppy. It made the defending look like it wasn't practiced during through. And if you compare that to the kind of rigidity and astuteness of the selective aggressive press that Sean Dyche deployed last week that we looked at in the early kickoff, you, uh, like me, might have been a bit worried for West Ham when they'd been played through in the high press twice in the first five or six minutes. But as the game went on and Declan Rice near the end, like sort of throughout the first half, particularly after the first goal, got got on and tight to Enzo Fernandez. He was in a kind of number 10 position every time Chelsea tried to play the ball out. And he was locking on to Enzo Fernandez. Cucurella didn't have that out, pal, out, out ball and he was forced into a mistake a number of times. I thought Kufal played quite well. He almost certainly should have got a yellow card just from how many late challenges he was leaving in, particularly within a short time frame it's normal to see someone get to okay well they're not quite yellow cards close to each other so they get a yellow card I thought he was just playing quite aggressively but West Ham probably would have been in a better position going into the end of the first half if he had if more players had played like that and managed to get away with it as the first half well to talk about how Chelsea played in the the first half, there was obviously Jao Felix, who just kind of ran the show. I made a note that he looked like Ronaldinho, but I thought 
the more the game went on and the more you think about the fact that Jao Felix isn't Ronaldinho, I don't think West Ham were doing an amazing job of shutting him down. West Ham were defending from the front. Uh, so let's take it out of the um, high press that they were doing for uh, Chelsea's goal kicks. They were defending in a 5-3-2, but obviously that's a very narrow midfield and to cope with that, you have to either adjust it or shuffle it over very quickly. And in the first 15 minutes, it was very unclear how they were going to cope with Chelsea's width, particularly in the left half space where Endo Fernandez ultimately um, scored the goal from, I remember uh, created the goal from. I remember making a note exactly on the 15-minute point. I'll see if I can find it here. Chelsea have not tried to go around the middle three yet, 15 minutes in. And then the next note is first wide overload and it's a goal. Fantastic vision from for Fernand from Fernandez. Real quality, you know, writing in the proper football talk there. But yeah, I I think Chelsea always had an opportunity to score, but I think Chelsea of old, without the qual the individual quality of Felix and um Fernandez, who, who who were the two that combined for that goal, if you, if you consider Kukurea was the one who had picked up the ball in that area, or perhaps Kovacic, who hasn't played very well this season, and you were relying on someone like Havertz to score in the box, you can see how Graham Potter should probably be, be disappointed, not just with the outcome, but with the way that they played throughout the game, because in that first 15-20 minutes where Chelsea really had control... All of the good things that came their way, all of the offside goals and ultimately their goal that did stand, came from moments of individual brilliance and quality, which is disappointing to see them rely on against a team that's 17th in the league. It doesn't, when you talk about teams that are top of the division, even when Chelsea were top of the division and won the Champions League or whatever with Thomas Tuchel systems really create uh, consistent chances, at least in the Premier League right now. I know Don Carlo didn't really do that and won the Champions League. But if you don't have a systematic way of regularly creating chances and you're just relying on the individual brilliance of players, it just doesn't seem like what Graham Potter wants to do. And when West Ham worked out a little bit better that they wanted to have a 5-3-2 mid block with uh, Antonio and Bowen sitting in the two holding midfielders. And then whenever the ball swung wide, they would convert to a 5-4-1. Once they worked that out and they started to get that going, the space on the ball, like the one or two seconds that Jao Felix was able to find constantly in the first 15 minutes and the Enzo Fernandez found for the goal, that space that was really given to them, it was, it was on a plate. Once that was taken away, I found the Chelsea performance very uninspiring. Um, obviously, I'm someone who watches it and is just there to, you know, I can't, there's things I can't say. Like, you can't, I can't say it because I don't know how to bleep words out. But I, obviously, I'm watching it to really enjoy the managers <laughs> and how they go about creating chances. And I don't think this is, a bold statement. I don't think I've enjoyed 
watching Graham Potter's team on the ball in, in a while, actually. I think near the end of his time at Brighton, they're, they're, without question, Brighton have become more interesting since he left. And Chelsea weren't particularly interesting when he arrived. They were in a ditch. It was obvious that Tuchel had to go. But they're, they're not that interesting to watch now. I don't think they're doing anything that fascinating. For large parts of the first and second half, they were in a four, they were in a two, four, four formation or in possession, where the fullbacks and Kukurea and James, this is before Chilwell came on, I thought he was amazing, where the fullbacks being Kukurea and James didn't necessarily um invert. But they went alongside and wide of the um, two holding players. And then in front of them, there was some real explosive talent that they failed to utilise, really. If you consider Mudrick's pace and went that one counter-attack where he was just jogging, he was jogging, he was miles off his top speed and just flying past Havertz right next to him. Eventually, he got the ball. He took a second to get the ball to Enzo Fernandez. It's understandable why he didn't convert that. There was just enough time for West Ham to set their players so that they were probably going to block it. But, yeah, if you consider the... I think Madueke had a good... Uh, had, like, a good moment or two. I liked the head thing he was wearing. <laughs> but... I think Graham Potter should probably be disappointed with the attacking football that he's playing. And in terms of the defensive football, if Rhys James is in possession for that one time, they win 1-0 and they still look like a bulletproof defence. But I think anyone can lay a glove on them right now. I really do. And that West Ham press for goal kicks, they need to go away and think about that. What I thought they should have done from half-time... Uh, this is Chelsea. I think they should have had Felix drop and help with uh, Kukurea playing out because they went left every single time. It was always just Enzo Hernandez and Rice was always on his ass and then they lost the ball or it was like deflected or Kukurea got fouled. But they were lucky that that didn't turn into a, a goal conceded for them. Um, in terms of West Ham, in the second half, I want to see more, more of the same. They stopped high pressing really more as the game went on. And I think that was to conserve energy so they could really go for it. But the end at the end, but they, they kind of they ended up only really going for it for the last five minutes of the game. So I don't know how I feel about that. Because obviously if it was West Ham a couple months ago, you would have been really disappointed with that. You'd wanted to see them come out and talking about laying a glove on someone. You wanted to see them come out and you know actually start swinging maybe with 15 minutes to go. But if you consider that they're 17th in the league Although Chelsea aren't in a particularly amazing place themselves, that's a squad that costs two hundred billion or whatever it costs. So, um, just getting the points on the board and feeling like they can take something away from it would obviously have been high up Moyes' agenda. In terms of the outcome for both teams, I think that's an interesting point because we talked a lot about how both teams would feel going into it. I don't necessarily feel. West Ham have that much to build on coming out of this. I feel the injury for Paqueta is scary. Um, they're still not in a great position in the league. Um, teams around them, like Leeds and Everton, are, are only going to get better. Um, so, yeah, I think it's 
I think it's a tricky one for them in terms of what to build on. Um, I thought Ogbonna was really good. Um, he was probably my man of the match. Um, I didn't think Enzo Fernandez should have gotten it really. I, I I don't think it would have been fair to give it to a Chelsea player. I think one of the what well, a a West Ham centre back should probably have gotten it with the way that the game was played. Um. I thought Rice could have influenced the game a little bit more, but I thought the way that Moyes used him in the press was good, using the amount that he can just run, really. Um, and then in terms of Chelsea's takeaway from the game, uh, still not clicking for Potter, really, in possession. But Mudrick and Felix seem to have an all right relationship, and Felix and Fernandez seem to have an excellent one. So that's definitely something to build on. Uh, and they'll probably buy a nine in the summer and not play Havertz anymore. So, yeah, that was one West Ham, one Chelsea. And I enjoyed analysing it, but I found the game worse than last week's one because that was my favourite game of the season. So, yeah, next week... Uh, currently Leicester, as I record this, Leicester are beating Spurs and I, I really want to watch them next week. And so hopefully I'm able to analyze them because yeah, Madison's back, get him in your fantasy teams and get Ben Me as well. Speak soon. Kind regards. Uh, yeah. Enjoy your weekend. I'll, I'll put this out on Saturday. Bye.